Revelation 12, verse 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Welcome to By the Word of Their Testimony, and here is your host, Rod Butler. Hello, listeners. Welcome to our program. So glad you could join us. My guest today is Stephen Brooke Kelly. Stephen has spent most of his life involved with agriculture and is currently working with his brother in his brother's farming business. But Stephen is making that interesting transition from working in a family business to working with God in literature evangelism, particularly with the health message. I'm sure you'll find his story really interesting. We are talking to Steve uh, in rural New South Wales by Skype. Welcome, Stephen. Hello, Rod. Nice to be here. Before we commence, uh, let's, let's just pray. Gracious Father, thank you for the opportunity to hear Stephen's testimony today. We ask for the Holy Spirit to direct our discussion, and may all honour and glory be to you. Amen. Amen. Now, Stephen, with your your current occupation, uh, I guess you'd describe yourself as jack-of-all-trades. Would that be a fair description? Uh, that's pretty much the um, what I am, yeah, because having an agricultural background, you you learn lots of different uh, talents with mechanical and welding and pruning and yeah, just just everything. Yeah, it's very good actually. <laughs> now you you have one of your favourite texts you would like to share with us. Yeah, um, the text text I've chosen is from Isaiah chapter twenty six, and it's starting in verse three, and I'll read four as well, and it says. Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. So why is that significant for you today, Stephen? Well, it's such a beautiful text um, that some friends shared to me um, in my journey with God um, a number of years ago. And because the Lord has rescued me from um, depression and suicide and this battle of the mind, um, this really resonates as a a precious promise to me and one I like to cling on to. Mm, Okay. Tell us what you're currently doing at the moment. Uh, Currently at the moment I'm, well, I'm transitioning from work and I'm really just desiring to prepare and get things in order so I can um, be a missionary for God with literature and, and health. Okay, well, let's let's go back to your early days and uh, find out a bit more about how you got to this position. Tell us, uh, Stephen, where were you born and, and your family upbringing? Well, I was, I was born here in Young in uh, 1959, and, so, and I've been here all my life, had a couple of trips away. Uh, went to 
our little primary school up the road from the farm. It was only about three miles away. Uh, he used to travel up there on the bus and then eventually started riding push bikes um, in, up to school, which was um, quite good. You, you mentioned the family farm. Is this a farm that uh, has been handed down through the family or is this a farm that your parents bought? Tell us about the farm. Well, my parents, um, moved, it wasn't handed down. My parents moved here in uh, 1957 and they lived down at Dural in Sydney and, and when they first got married. And Dad always had a burning desire to get on to, to the land and he um, found this um, orchard at Young and um, that was their desire to... Um, expand from that, yeah. So had your father had experience with orchards previously? Uh, no, that was actually a learning curve for him. Uh, fortunately, the man he bought it off um, stayed on. He allowed Dad to work with him for 12 months to gain an experience on how to run the orchard, yeah. And what, what was the, the orchard? What was the fruit on the orchard? Well, it was it was quite small. It was a what was called a soldier settlement farm, and there was 20 acres of prunes on it, and that's all it had on it at the time. And Dad used to run some sheep as well and grow a little bit of grain. And so, and he expanded that over the years. So how old were these uh, these prune trees when you bought the property, your father bought the property? Well, that would have been, uh, they were planted in 1921 after the First World War, and they actually lived for about a, well, some of them are still there. Most of them have been, been replaced, but yeah, you can get 100 years out of a prune tree if you That's look amazing. After it. That is amazing. Okay, so they bought this, uh, this uh, property and your parents got into farming. Um, any reason why they chose to settle at Young? Did they, were they looking in that area? What was the, uh, the reason why they bought there in particular? Yeah, Dad was... Um, he was in the Air Force and he used to work on a chap's farm down there and he um, really got a bug for agriculture doing that. And and so he was looking around. They were looking around and I i don't really know the real reason why he settled in Young, but it, he found they found what they desired and he actually wanted a mm. preferably a grain farm, um, grazing and grain farm. And, but this one was available and, and so they um, settled with it and um, carried on their life from there, yeah. So what was life like as a, as a young boy growing up on the farm? Well, that was a good thing with um, looking back in reflection. At the time, it seemed like we were um, quite occupied with work a lot and all that. And um, when I reflect on that, it's actually a good thing because it kept us away from getting into too much mischief, yeah. So... Um, Mum and Dad had their pulse, had their finger on the pulse, yeah. So did your Dad have you driving tractors as soon as you could walk? How did that go? No, yeah, I can't remember the specific time, but it was pretty early, yeah. And uh, back in those days, the little tractors didn't have power steering either, so it was a, it was a good muscle builder. <laughs> <laughs> so as, as a young young uh, person growing up, what was the, the, the social scene like for you? Were you in the sporting events? Were you in the community uh, teams? How did you uh, interact with the community? With that, yeah, I was in um, Cubs and also went into Scouts and 
and then eventually started playing in the local tennis club as well and and that was my primary uh, social outlets yeah okay and uh was school an enjoyable experience for you? Were you a, a smart kid? Did you like sport or did you, were you academically minded? Uh, pretty much on both sides, actually. I actually skipped a year in primary school. Um, I'm still a bit bewildered by that, but that's what the to- teacher thought. And um, But, yeah, I liked um, sporting, the sports as well, but I was more a um, – I wasn't a contact person, so football and those things weren't enjoyable to me, but I liked – tennis and squash and those types of uh, activities. So the, the social side was uh, was basically tennis and cubs, was it, and scouts? Yeah, yeah. It was, early on it was the cubs and scouts and then moved into the tennis, yeah. Okay. Stephen, how would you describe your relationship with your mum and dad in those early years? My relationship with mum and dad was good and dad was uh, – very community orientated and as well as mum and she always played the organ at the local Anglican church and dad was in uh, a lot of committees and he was away a lot at meetings and all that but um, yeah there was they did well on bringing us up I thought there's actually six of us six children so they had their hands pretty full yeah I just know that um, sometimes when you talk to kids who've been brought up on farms uh, sometimes dads can be pretty demanding on the kids because they've got to work on the farm, there's jobs to do, chores to do. Uh, you know, dads can fall into the trap of treating their uh, their children like employees and it can be sometimes a bit tense. That wasn't your situation? Um, not, no, it wasn't overly tense at all. It was quite good, actually, yeah. Mm, okay. then, yeah, I never got the strap too often. <laughs> And what about mum? Was your mother involved in uh, in the community much or was she mainly on the farm? Uh, quite a bit on the farm, but she was regularly playing the organ for a local church and, um, yeah, and helping with, well, both mum and dad were involved with the local PNC as well, yeah. So what was religion in the home like? Describe, uh, describe that for us, Stephen. In the home, well, mum being Anglican, uh, dad being Catholic, um, us, us three boys went with Dad to the Catholic Church and my three sisters went with Mum to the Anglican Church and that they weren't strict. They, we could go either and uh, they were quite flexible, but generally that's what we did. And um, Did you ever all go together to the one church or you always went uh, girls to one and boys to the other? Well, I don't actually remember us all going to one. So, yeah, it was all just uh, in according to their belief, yeah. So w- would you describe that your uh, involvement in church in those days was more um, just the the typical times, such as uh, Christmas and Easter, or did you go every week, or ha- what sort of involvement, what sort of commitment was there to uh, church going in the family? When we were young, it used to be very regularly every Sunday, and... It wasn't until there were peak busy times on the farm that we would um, it would become the priority, and then then you'd go back to to mass, and or sometimes it might have suited to go to an evening um, church service instead. So when you were growing up in those days, going to mass each week, 
what was your your concept of God? Did you have a relationship with God? Did you know God? What was God to you as a as a boy growing up? To be honest, I didn't really understand God. When I look back on it, it was um, it was to me it was just what 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 you do, and um, that didn't come till much later on, really. But um, but I'm thankful for all the seeds that were planted in that part of the journey. They were very helpful, actually. Yeah. Mm, okay. And did you were you involved in church functions apart from just going to church? Did you go to Sunday school? Did you um, do anything else in the church? No, they, there wasn't any other involvement in the church. It was only that actual church service. And in primary school, it was um, it was the nuns used to come out to the primary school and um, once a week, I think it was. And yeah, that was that was quite good. You used to get a little bit of. Um, books that you could work with, and um, I found that quite good, actually. Okay. So with your schooling then, you went to uh, school in the district. You completed, uh, what, year 12? Yeah, went right through to year 12. did you have ambitions, or did you go to university? Well, in hindsight, I probably should have left in year 10, um, but I went right through to year 12, and I went off to university for a short period of time, but I, I hadn't done the right subjects at high school, physics and chemistry, so that was making... I started uni doing uh, geology, and um, I needed to have done physics and chemistry before that, so it was quite a challenge. So I stepped out of uni after a, probably about six weeks, I think it was. Okay, and after that six weeks... What did you do? Did you, because um, you've now, I guess, discontinued your studies and you've got your whole life in front of you, what did you decide to do then? There was plenty of work to, to do on the farm, so uh, I was able to return back to the farm and uh, get into a full farming um, life. Well, look, tell us a little bit about the farm when you're into that sort of farming life. How far, just out of curiosity, how far is the farm out of, um, out of town? It's quite handy, the town. It's it's 16 kilometres away from town, so if anything goes wrong or whatever, it's easy to pop in and get spares or uh, necessities for it. Yeah. And, and the work that you're involved in was your was your father developing the property? Was he um, was it just maintenance of what was there, or what was actually the work that you were involved with? Yeah, Dad was um, developing the property. He actually planted more orchard on it, and and also my older brother was uh, expanding as well. And so it was just it was growing with more orchard and and more grain and and more livestock. And so it was quite broad in um, the different applications of looking after stock and learning how to shear and. Yeah, cultivations and growing crops and pruning. And pruning was always a challenge because it was a bit of a mystery to me. It took quite a few years to master that, but it, it finally came to me, yeah. And and how many different varieties of fruit trees did you end up with? Um, Dad had prunes was the primary one, and then he had a couple of different varieties of peaches um, and nectarines, and he had a... a cherries as well and a few plums 
Okay, so you, you got a good education on how to prune those, uh, those various varieties, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. was this time in the farming world, was this a, a boom time? Was, was money tight? Um, how did you go financially? Was you, if you're expanding the property, money must have been coming in. What was the financial situation like for the family back then? Well, it was, yeah, it was pretty tight because actually to support the family, mum and dad opened up a health food store in, in the local, in, in Young, and that helped supplement uh, things early on. And yeah, there was, I don't actually remember any real booms or anything like that, but um, we always had a meal on the table and then they got by. It was, it was very good. With this health food business that your mum and dad had in town, would you say this was something that triggered your interest in health? Um, not at the time because when we'd, when we'd go leave the church service, I'd look forward to getting down to the health food store because they used to sell things that weren't that healthy and I was more interested in chocolate in those days. (laughs) Okay. That was far from my mind, actually. (laughs) Mum probably had the sweetest tooth in the family. I think I inherited that. (laughs) Uh, Okay. (laughs) Very good. Okay, so um, your mum and dad were supplementing the income with a health food store. Was that a successful business? Yeah, it it did quite well, actually. Yeah, they... um, they actually shifted stores and, and, yeah, kept blossoming for it and they had a, a number of staff that worked for them as well and, uh, yeah, they did well and then eventually sold out of that and as the farm got bigger and um, and grew. Now, with country towns today, there's there's always the challenge that, you know, young people grow up on the property, they they go to school, then education comes along, they're qualified but they find there's employment restrictions or employment lack of opportunities in the in the town, so they head off to the big cities. Mm. Um, did you get itchy feet to uh, to go elsewhere? It wasn't until uh, 1980. I um, my school friends and my next brother up. We um, wanted to go on a trip over to Western Australia, and so. We headed off over there, and it was that was a good experience actually, because I um I wanted to drive one of those great big iron ore trucks, and um, unfortunately they didn't have any positions, so I ended up working on a farm down at a little place called Newdigate, and actually that was the last thing I wanted to do was be driving a tractor again, but we were um, doing twelve-hour shifts and. My um, brother, he had a job over at Lake King and my friend and his wife, they were down at Jerramungup and so we were, we were a little bit of a distance and um, my brother ended up going back to Manjimup and But it was, it was a good experience. They, they were a lovely um, husband and wife team and, yeah, just seeing a different part of the country. Uh, just for our listeners, um, you said Newdigate. Now, Newdigate yes. is not exactly a very big town. I'm guessing it's got a population around 150, and it would be, what, 400-odd kilometres south-east of Perth and about 300 kilometres north of Esperance. Would that be a fair description of Newdigate? Well, yeah, that'd probably be roughly right. Um, There's not I think a... 
Oh, if people thought of Wave Rock, that's another tourist attraction near that area. And, um, so that's probably the easiest way for me to pinpoint it. Yeah. There's not a lot out there. But I know it's uh, it's in that sort of southeastern wheat belt area, but it's a fairly remote uh, part of the world. Lovely part of the world, but fairly remote. Oh, yeah. So, so how long did you work there for? I did the sowing season there, and it was probably about three months, I think, thereabouts, yeah. Okay, and so how long did you stay in WA? Um, we stayed in WA for about, we headed out of WA in, I think it was end of July, and travelled on from there. My, my friends and uh, my friend and his wife, they stayed on and they ended up working up at Kununara. And um, my brother and I, we headed off and we went right up to Darwin and across to Cairns and back down. And um, at that point of time, I, I um, would have liked to have stayed stayed away a lot longer, but we um, headed back, yeah, to Young. But it was a really good trip, um, seeing a part of this country. Did you, when you got back to Young, again, I just think you were, what, in your early 20s at this stage or thereabouts. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. And you still were quite happy just to go back. You didn't want to sort of see the world or do anything else. You just wanted to go back and continue working on the farm. Well, part of me did and part of me wanted to stay in WA, actually, yeah. <laughs> so I was a bit torn but uh, settled back into the, into the farming routine. That was one really good thing um, over there, just working for different I did get to work on a couple of different farms just um, helping out and just broadening out and seeing how other people do things and that was really a good experience actually okay so what was your did your worldview change was it was it changing what was your again were you thinking of God at this stage or were you still just wanting to do your own thing and and work and see see the world there wasn't really a big um view of God at the, that point in time I'm just reflecting on on the journey I've always had an interest in the, oh, the meaning of life and um, so and I'm buying all these self-help books and all these types of things just trying to get a um, direction and because um, I'm turning into a workaholic and um, in regards to God I was primarily a hatch match and dispatch person, which is um, going to christenings and weddings and, and funerals and sometimes going at Christmas or Easter and they were special times. But, yeah, not not really seeking after God. And I can remember sometimes I'd be cultivating in the um, paddock next to um, our neighbours, a very uh, lovely Baptist family, and... They'd have these big family days there and um, you, oh, things would be going through my mind and, I, you know, I was contemplating why do we have all these different beliefs, different denominations and because under God we, we should all just be one and, and in unity and, you know, there were thoughts of those going through my mind from time to time. Were there, you know, you had these thoughts... Did you have a big circle of friends or you, you know, again, connecting with the community? Did you have anybody you could talk to about these thoughts? Um, I really kept 
pretty much to myself on um, on that sort of thought. And yeah, I was a bit more of a reclusive person that was more um, from a social aspect. It was more just tennis on the weekend at that time, and that was my release from working all the time. And but not didn't really talk to her, anyone in any great degree about spiritual things. Yeah. I'm just sort of getting a profile here, Stephen, that, you know, you're working, you said you're a workaholic, you're working around the clock, it's farming, so you're working, I guess, from sun up till sundown. Um, not a large so- circle of friends, your, your, your social outlet is, I guess, you're going to church on a Sunday and, and your tennis. Um, it, was that enough sort of support for you to keep a, a healthy equilibrium? Um, in, no, well, actually, uh, attending church really that ceased back in early teenage years really and so it wasn't really a part of um, my um, routine and when I got in into the 20s and that and so it yeah it was more just more of a secular lifestyle I was into then yeah and how did you find um, coping with with essentially that sort of workaholic routine well, that's yeah. It's um, became more and more challenging because it really because I didn't continue uni and it was and I didn't really know what I wanted to do and um, yeah, I was just what would you say, just travelling along without a destination and uh, and that was yeah, it was starting to take its toll on my um, mental. Um, capacity and that sort of thing, yeah, and, and that's I was turning to, you know, psychological training courses and different things, looking and meet more for the meaning of life. And yeah, I was I was starting to spiral down. I in in hindsight, well, how how far down did you spiral? Um, well, the Bible talks about the pleasures of sin and. Um, all the different lists that's in in the gospel there, and um, I spiraled right down to the point where it got very black, and I um, I was getting depressed, and I got to the point of I thought suicide was the answer to these calamities. Yeah, and it got extremely black, and. Um, I'm just so thankful to God that um, I'm still alive. Yeah, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be having this interview with you today. Stephen, how old were you when you had these black periods? Um, the, the climax was, I was, a, what was I, 37, around that bracket. But looking back, yeah, I can just see there were, there were times... There were black times, but, yeah, when it reached the climax, that was, um, yeah, very, very dark, actually. Yeah. How, how did those dark periods resolve themselves? What happened? Well, it really just coming to that um, head, I, when it came to a head, it was, I'm just thankful I was, um, I was administered to the local hospital. Um, my parents... Dad took me in and um, 
I went into hospital and then I was transferred over. Um, actually, it was interesting. When I was in, in the local hospital, um, in the morning, the um, local Catholic priest was doing his visitations and he saw me and I, I didn't want to talk about anything. And then and then the Anglican minister was doing his visitations and and he he said, "Oh, do you want me to pray for you?" And 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 I just, in my mind, I, and I said to him, "There's no point. God, God wouldn't want me." So, Stephen, what then triggered the events that led you to connect with God? Well, that, um, yeah, just carrying on a bit. I, I did a little stint over at Canberra in um, in the mental section there for a, it might have been a month. I'm not sure, but it wasn't a long period but then coming back out um, and just taping medication off and I was off medication and in 1997 it was it was June 1997 uh, I was off medication and I had a I had another relapse and um, and I believe the Holy Spirit gave me the thought. It was like ring up your youngest sister, and um, this was on a Sunday in June '97. And so I rang up my youngest sister, and and I the thought was ask her about spiritual guidance. It's like I need spiritual guidance, and so she she told me about a a dream she had, and um, which she'd never said before that. Um, and in this dream, it was um, it involved a, this um, lovely Baptist family I was telling you about, and and the husband of the Baptist family he died in 1994, and because my sister and her husband lived next door to their farm, they approached his widow to see if she wanted to sell it, and she didn't want to sell at that point, and. And anyway, and then a couple of years later, well, when I asked my sister about this spiritual guidance and she told me she had a dream at the end of 96 and the deceased husband was in the dream and, and the providential thing that happened after the dream was the next morning, the, the son-in-law of the deceased man, um, he rang up and asked whether they still wanted to buy the farm. and. So in my mind, God was using these um, lovely Baptist people to trigger my mind um, heavenward. And, and so I was just totally locked in with my thoughts on God. And, and then I, after speaking with my sister, I went down to the paddock to set up cultivation equipment. And, um, and I had this enormous electrifying charge just goes through my being and um, actually I'll just read a little passage there's a there's a wonderful book called um, Ministry of Healing and there's just a little paragraph in there because in the Bible we read about the woman who had the issue of blood for 12, 12 years and she couldn't find a cure and and it just says here, uh, this is talking about Jesus, as he was passing, she reached forward and succeeded in barely touching the border of his garment. And that moment she knew that she was healed. 
in that one touch was concentrated the faith of her life and instantly her pain and feebleness disappeared. Instantly she felt the thrill of an electric current passing through her every fibre of being and she was healed. And that was, I can totally relate to her experience because that's what occurred with me. I had this massive electrifying charge and all the blackness in my mind uh, disappeared on that Sunday after talking with my sister. And um, so God was really stepping in. So God God revealed himself to you, Stephen. How did you reach out and grasp God from that point? Well, that was um, that was so invigorating that that evening I couldn't wait to go home and I had I had a good news New Testament on my bookshelf and I I'd say we opened it as, as like the Holy Spirit or the angel was just um, guiding me and we opened up in the new in the book of Acts and it's talking about the disciples preaching the gospel and and miracles were occurring and people were being healed and so that was that was a perfect introduction into the Word on that Sunday. And then on the Monday, being June, I, in the morning I just sent off a donation to the children's hospital. And and that evening when I came home, we opened up the Bible and it was talking about repentance and I couldn't buy my way into heaven. And and the next morning when I hop up, I'm I'm thinking, how do I repent? Do I do I go and see the Catholic priest or the Anglican minister, or go and have a chat with one of um, my other sister-in-law? And how do I repent? And I came back from the bathroom, and and the George Harrison song, "My Sweet Lord," was just finishing on the radio, and that just absolutely crushed me um, into a bundle of tears and sorrow and the Lord led me to repentance and and I reach up and we open up John chapter 10 and it's talking about Jesus the good shepherd gathering in the flock and that really just um, that finished me off it was like you, you've got me So Stephen that's very powerful the Lord's led you to repentance how did you proceed in the next few days? Well, that was on the next day when we opened up, it was in John chapter 3 and being born again of, of the Holy Spirit. And, and this was getting really powerful. And so I went and saw uh, Tessa, my sister-in-law, and she was really over the moon because a lot of people had been praying for me. And, and also I rang my father who was in hospital and he was teary as well and um, the power of prayer was being answered and um, I didn't really uh, understand the power of prayer at that point. And, and so Tessa told me about Calvary and the great sacrifice Jesus made for us. And when I went home, I, uh, I, we opened the Bible in Luke and here's Jesus before Pontius Pilate. And so I read through uh, the Calvary journey of Jesus and and that was beautiful and so I went and saw Tessa again and she gave me a, a beginning with Christianity booklet on the Friday and I went home and I was we opened the Bible and I was in Acts and reading about Stephen and the seven deacons and what happened to Stephen and being stoned and 
I just related that what might be coming, so I shut the Bible and opened up again in 1 John 5 and reading in 1 John 5 and it said, he who has the Son has life and he who doesn't have the Son doesn't have eternal life. And and so I elected to open up the little Christianity booklet and it was exactly the same verses in 1 John 5, 11 and 12. And so that was um, really just confirming God's restoration and um, and in my heart I just really wanted to go and worship the Lord on that first Saturday and so um, and I didn't know anything about the Seventh-day Adventist message so I went off to the Baptist church on the Sunday. So Stephen with I mean you I guess you're a brand new Christian from the point of view that you were brought up a Catholic but you obviously weren't reading your Bible, um, you're now reading a, a good news, New Testament, which is fantastic, and you clearly were understanding the verses. Did you feel that you could continue on uh, understanding about God through your own reading, or did you feel you had to have Bible studies? I really had a hunger and thirst for truth, and so I really appreciated um, with the Baptists having a, a midweek prayer meeting and a men's morning prayer meeting, and and so... Yeah, it was it was it was wonderful to be able to just learn so much more from the scriptures. Yeah. So in those meetings, you were having a Bible study, were you? Yes. Okay. We'd have a Bible study. Yes. Yeah. And was that was that a Bible study for you as a as a new believer learning about God? It was for you leading you to baptism. That came a little bit later. Um, these were just general prayer meetings, and but then I started doing a. Um, series of studies with the Baptist minister, which led to baptism, yeah. Okay, now you, you were telling me earlier, Stephen, that even though you were God had spoken to you and you were, you were uh, aware that uh, the Holy Spirit was led, led you to repentance, with the passing of the weeks, there was something pulling you back. Talk to us about that. Yeah, as, as the journey was going, there was there was still a struggle going on and this pull and and um, I was up at my sister's place at Orange and uh, I hopped up real early in the morning and had breakfast early and and then I had this urge come upon me and I and I had to actually go whiz into the bathroom and vomit up the breakfast and and the Lord actually delivered me from demonic possession and um, in that there was a lot of graphic swearing and my sister called the ambulance and but it was very quick and short and I was lying on my bed when the ambos came and we had a good chat and I and I just told them I'd never felt better in my life and God was healing me and and they had a chat with my sister and um, obviously recommended having yarn to the psych and um, so that led to a bit of medication again but God um, resolved that quite quickly in due course so it was all good. <laughs> so they, they were questioning your state of mind because they called mm. the ambulance and you're saying I haven't felt better all my life. <laughs> well that's it and um, with what my sister was telling the psych and I was putting some sign writing on my vehicle to um, point people to Jesus and mm. yeah, I was mm. doing a few things that would... Um, classify as being manic depressive so um, yeah that, that the born again experience is mm. quite a revelation to um to to people and mm. you can't stop talking about jesus so mm. praise god for that so you were doing your, your baptismal studies with a pastor 
and what that led to baptism? It, uh, it did. In, um, in October, I was um, baptised at the Baptist Church, but prior to that, I actually was drawn to go to the Seventh-day Adventist message. Stephen, I've got to ask you about this. This is <laughs> quite unusual. You've just had baptismal studies with the pastor for the Baptist Church. You've been baptised, but you're saying before that you were drawn to the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Can you explain to us how that came about? That came, that came about because God had been impressing me about the Seventh-day Sabbath right at the, early at the start. And also when he delivered me at Orange, it was if I'd become a minister, I'm going to have a church on Saturday. That was going through my mind. And then um, then um, my sister-in-law, Roz, was telling me about the statue in Daniel because she and her sister and my elder brother were studying with Seves by then. And um, and when she told me about the statue of Daniel and how in that timeline we're down in the, in the toenails and um, that really resonated with me that, you know, how much longer can this earth go on? And and that was helped by, I did an overseas trip in 92. And um, when you see the logistics of what's going on, it's like, this is amazing how this earth keeps going. And But then after she told me about um, Daniel chapter 2, and then from, from the Bible, uh, I had an NIV study Bible by then, and we just opened it up in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and reading verse 13 and 14. Um, it, it says, Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. And that really was establishing in my mind that I really had to consider God's calling on on all of, all of his commandments. And so... I was fellowshipping at, at both the Baptist Church and then I began to study a, um, and fellowship at the SDA Church as well. So I was getting a, a big feast of scripture. <laughs> so that is that is unusual, as I said, but from what you've just said, you're saying that it was God leading you to the Sabbath that, that really impressed you to study with the Seventh-day Adventists, but then it was prophecy which... Um, as you said, the Daniel 2 dream, being on the toes. And for the listeners who know the Daniel 2, there was it's a prophecy, it's a time prophecy. Mm. And um, we're in the last days if we're in the, in the toes of the Daniel statue. So you're saying that the prophecy then convicted you that uh, we're in those last days and you needed to be uh, worshipping God on the Sabbath because of Ecclesiastes 12. Mm. So how did, how did you reconcile this? You're, you're now... A baptized uh, member of the Baptist Church, but you're studying with the Seventh-day Adventists. Talk to us about that. Yeah, just gaining more conviction in the scriptures, and and so I'd be sharing scriptures with with the Baptists, and and yeah, we had some interesting discussions about it, and um, but they they were a bit concerned I was getting legalistic, but I had to follow my convictions and. Um, and yeah, and the Lord led me in. And actually, the first time I went to the Sevi Church, the Creation Ministry guys were in Young as well, and it was wonderful to to listen to them prior. And it was on that first Sabbath day I went to the Sevi Church, and 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 just over time, the conviction just became so strong that I um, 
moved entirely into the Seventh-day Adventist church. Well, Stephen, what was the, the impact on your family of firstly seeing this tremendous change in you that you're you know, studying with Baptists and then you're studying with the Adventists, you're totally committed, you're reborn, as you're saying. How did that witness to your family? Well, um, sadly, my mum had dementia and um, so her mind wasn't uh, up to what was going on. And um, But my father, he, well, with my elder brother studying too, but, um, he thought, well, if two of my pagan sons have found Jesus Christ, there must be something in this message. And so it had a big impact on my father and he, he started doing a lot more Bible studies and... Um, Praise God, he, he was baptised into the Seventh-day Adventist message in 2000. So, um, yeah, that was quite a transition for him. And um, But other family members, um, they were really appreciating how I'd been lifted out of this big black hole. So, yeah, God, God was working on us all. And what about your other family, your brother and your sister-in-law? Well, they um, they got baptised um, in 1998, early in 1998, into the SDA church along with um, Ros's other sister, Miriam. Okay, so this, I mean, you were already being having Bible studies with the Baptists when your sister-in-law, Ros, was having Bible studies with the the Adventists, but she got baptised, and your brother got baptised. Your father's baptised. What impact did that have on the family? I mean, you and Harold going off to the Adventist church. Did things change on the farm? Did things change at home? What What was the impact? Yeah, I think it's um, given a lot of family members and, and relatives a lot to consider. And um, but the real blessing was being a workaholic and shutting the farm down on one day a week. It was just magnificent to have a this day of rest to look forward to each week from the, the rigmarole of work. <laughs> Stephen, now that you're in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, tell us how you developed your interest and love for the health message or the health ministry. Well, yeah, coming in and um, um, reading a lot of the health books and I actually went off to a health seminar quite early in the first couple of years and um, that was really good just to get a, a better handle on um, what was best to put into the body. And that became a progressive thing. Um, and I had a real passion for all the literature the church has. And um, it's, um, I, actually, I didn't have much trouble at all um, changing my diet. But over time, I, um, I'm still wrestling with temperance. But the health, the health reform was paying big dividends, actually, yeah. Mm. And now you'd like to spread that health ministry to others because of the impact it's had on your own health. Absolutely, Rod. Yeah, it's so beneficial. We're going to take a short break now, Stephen. And uh, for our listeners, if you wish to contact us here at 3ABN Radio, we'll have the contact details for you. Thank you for joining us on By the Word of Their Testimony. If you would like more information about today's program, or if you have any questions, please contact 3ABN Australia Radio by phoning 024973 3456 
Or you can send an email to radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. You can also contact us on our 3ABN Australia Radio Facebook page. We look forward to hearing from you. Welcome back to our program. We've been listening to Stephen Brooke Kelly give us his testimony on our program by the word of their testimony. And Stephen's been telling us uh, how he came into the, the Adventist church and in particular how he has been inspired to get involved in the health message or the health ministry. And Stephen, I understand from what you've been telling me that you have been giving out uh, information in the district, you've been um, working with people, you've been getting more training yourself. Can you tell us a bit about what you've been up to with regards to connecting with people uh, and promoting the health ministry, the health message uh, in your community? Yeah, it's been really good, actually, because just one example, our local church had a signs rack in the, in the local supermarket and we had quite a bit of literature there, but unfortunately that, that's had to be taken out. But going back, there was... Um, we had Ministry of Healing and prophecy books and um, signs of the times. And there was one example where a, um, it was actually a Harry Krishna guy was talking to a lady at the front of the shop and this lady had cancer and he, he was actually recommending to her to uh, read the Ministry of Healing and she started following the principles of it and, um, yeah, she was greatly blessed by that and... And also, just in my um, day-to-day activities, just it's amazing God's providential hand on um, just sharing with people, particularly when I go for walks and that too. And uh, the Lord's made me a, a little bit more bolder in sharing things. So I usually carry a couple of pocket tracks with me, and um, and also when I'm been driving my nephew's truck. Um, when I'm waiting to unload and um, or load, there's always been opportunities to um, share these uh, health books or also the Great Controversy is a great one on history and um, Bible prophecy. And and I've just been quite amazed just in the last two years, especially how crazy this world's getting and a lot more people are, are wondering and what in earth is is happening in this world and uh, and so just handing out there god's actually drawing more people to himself and people are hungry for the truth and and so it's a great would, it's a great way to connect with people because with the the covid situation people looking at how can they strengthen their immune system uh what can they do naturally to be healthier mm. and this this comes right into it too doesn't it Stephen? yeah well, absolutely yeah and just with what's going on, all these mental issues and where, and where I've been, I, I just really have a passion to, to share this with people because um, God is the only antidote to all our maladies. And um, so just being a part of that is, is a wonderful experience and to be able to share the gospel. Stephen, and just with regarding to sharing, I would understand you're not sort of a workaholic on the farm anymore, that you're actually out and about mixing with people. Tell us about that. Well, that's that's been a huge blessing because um, that's always been early on in my life. Um, being in front of people and talking to people has always been a, a huge daunting experience, but 
God has um, taken me out of that reclusiveness and making me a much more sociable person, and, and, and it's quite enjoyable. And you're, you're connecting with a lot of people in town, I guess. Yeah, yeah, when, as opportunities arise, it's... Um, he, he arranges these things, um, which has quite amazed me of recent on just how conversations go. So, Stephen, it's been really good. You've been able to connect with the community now and giving out literature. Uh, and this literature includes both spiritual and health literature. Tell us about some of the people you've been able to connect with and, and give this literature to. Yeah, it's been really good because recently I was able to share with my doctor um, Ministry of Healing and the Great Controversy and yeah he was quite keen and also a local hardware agricultural store um, the lady there we had a good chat and she took a um, History Tomorrow booklet uh, also my one of my sisters is really interested in health and just sharing a cookbook with her she um, really loves cooking and looking at healthier ways and also um, in Wagga at the computer store, uh, that was interesting. The chap took a great controversy and a lady next door took a um, depression, little depression booklet. Mm, very good. Well, Stephen, it's great to hear that you're reconnecting with your community and it's great to hear that you're giving int- that literature to such a diverse range of people. Well, that's all we have time for today. So thank you, Stephen, for sharing your testimony with us. And thank you, listeners, for joining us today on By the Word of Their Testimony. Do join us again next time, and God bless. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio. Marlita Fong's album, Through It All, this is Your Grace Still Amazes Me. My faithful Father Enduring friend Your tender mercies Like a river With no I come in to your presence I stand in wonder once again Your grace still amazes me Your love is still
Your grace. 